don't we stand in honor of God's word? Open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 23. Proverbs 23. I'm going to do a standalone message, and then the month of November is going to be focused on testimonies, and we're going to kick it off with Teen Challenge, and then we are going to have three weeks of testimonies uh, from our congregation, and uh, I am going to be preaching truths uh, that can be learned from those testimonies, and those testimonies are going to cover everything from um, marriages that were torn and shattered and God healed and restored to uh, sexual identity to drug addiction. Um, They're going to be powerful. You're not going to want to miss them. Proverbs 23. Proverbs 23. I'm going to read Proverbs 23, verse 7 out of the New King James Version. Um, Any version that you're using, we'll get to it. Um, But I'm going to read it out of the New King James. It says, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. Father God, I ask that you would peel back the deceptions that come with our thinking. God, I pray that your word would accomplish what Hebrews 4 tells us it does, that you can divide soul from spirit. So Father God, help us today separate our mind, our will, and our emotions from the born-again spirit of the living God on the inside of us. Your word promises that when Jesus comes and lives in our heart, that the very same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. Father God, thank you for liberty. Thank you for freedom. Thank you for fresh starts and new beginnings this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. You can be seated. I chose the New King James here because I believe it's a better rendering. Newer versions like the NIV and the NLT speak of people always thinking about the cost. Probably the version that you're holding right now. So blending the old with the new, a better rendering would be, as one theologian success uh, suggests, for like one serving his own appetite, such he is. The Hebrew text is even better. Because as he has calculated in his soul, thus he. In short, as we think we are, which is the title of my message this morning, as we think we are. Lasting change will not come. Lasting change will not come unless the way we think is addressed. So if you want change, real change, then the way that you think has got to be addressed. It's got to be confronted, and I'm believing we're going to do that this morning. If you study our text in detail, you're going to find out that it's about duplicity. It's about hypocrisy. The storyline here is of a wealthy host cordially telling you to eat and drink, but the wealthy host heart really isn't with you because he's thinking about the costs. As he's throwing this lavish party for his guests that he's invited, and as they're enjoying all of the rich table fare that he has prepared and paid for, he's thinking about how much it costs and he can't even enjoy the moment. It's a case of saying one thing and believing another. And when the guests discover the host's false front, it causes them to gag on all the delicacies that they're being served and have been eating. 
It's about what we really, really think and believe to be true. It's about believing one thing today and another thing tomorrow. You know, it's, it's not all that far from reality. I mean, as kids, uh, many of us struggled believing that we had monsters under our bed or, or in our closets, and we believed that to be true so much so that we would struggle going to sleep. I can remember being a kid struggling to go to sleep at night. The very same bedroom that I was fine with during the day at night, there was just something about night. I had a buddy that I grew up with. His name was Freddie Markowski. And Freddie Markowski's bedroom had a little, like, little balcony off of it. And he would go to bed every night with wristbands and with a sweatband around his neck and a BB gun by his bed because he was convinced that a bat was going to come, land on his neck, be changed into a vampire, and come in and attack him. He believed that. So much so that he slept with a BB gun. I don't know what a BB gun was going to do against a vampire anyway. Um, maybe if you got the bat before it turned into the vampire, maybe. But he believed that vampires would get him while he slept. He believed that. And it affected the, the routine that he fell asleep to every night. Some of you have some very weird routines that you go to bed to every night because of things that you believe because of things that you believe. Some of you conduct your lives in very, very weird ways because of what you believe. If you get on a train or if you get on a plane or if you go for a long car ride, if you go swimming, something's, something bad is gonna happen, you believe that. And because you believe it, that is the way that you order your life. And you begin to avoid this and you avoid that. No, we don't, we don't do that. I have a fear of this. We don't, we, we, we don't, we don't do that. I, I have a fear of this. We, we don't, because you believe it. Well, Pastor John, I know it sounds crazy. Crazy to me, but not to you. You believe it. And as you think you are, and as you think you are, and I wanna challenge your thinking today because there's not a person in the room that has not struggled with false beliefs. There's not a person in the room that hasn't struggled with fear in some way, shape, or form. The Bible tells us the truth, but do we really believe it? I mean, come on, if this confronts something that we believe, if it messes with something that we would like to believe, I mean, which is true, what, what we wanna believe or what the Bible says? It's a tough call, even for many Christians today. It's hard. I think of scriptures like Psalm 34, verse 8, that says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Do we really believe that he's good? When we've experienced tragedies, the loss of a loved one, a marriage dissolved, you know, why, why didn't God do anything? Why did we go through this? Why am I struggling financially? Is God really, really good? Do we really believe that God is good? I think of scriptures like Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a future and to hope. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in good works in Christ Jesus, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So there's a plan for our life, the Bible says, but do we really, really believe that? I mean, or are these just wonderful scriptures that the pastor just chucks out there every Sunday? Or do we really, really believe it to be true? Well, Pastor John, if God has a plan for my life, then 
then why hasn't he shown me? I don't know. Are you close enough to him to hear him? I mean, how clearly are you discerning his voice? You're throwing it out there. I'm going to throw it back at you. Do you know him well enough to know when he's speaking to you so that he can lead you, so that you can do what he's asking you or what he has for you to do? And it's so easy to accuse God of not being there for you or not providing for you when we're not close enough to him to access his provision and to hear from him and walk in his provision. Come on, let's go after it this morning. The Bible says that God loves you. Do you really, really believe it? John 3, 16, you can see it at any good sporting event. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that he who believes in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. Do we really, really believe that God loves us? Well, if God loves us, and why are all these things happening? Because we were born into a fallen state of humanity, that's why. You may have heard these things for years, but what you really believe in your heart trumps God's word and how you choose to live. So let's confront some of our stinking thinking today with some scripture. Go to Proverbs 18, 21 for starters. 18, 21. You know, it's amazing. I will use oftentimes this verse and the verse right by it when I do weddings when I do weddings, because in any relationship, any human relationship, communication is everything. Communication is the lifeblood of a relationship. And in Proverbs 18, 21, it says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. So the tongue has power. It has the power to speak death or life. And I'll tell every couple when I'm standing before them performing a wedding ceremony, so speak life. Speak life. Speak life. And why do I use them at a wedding? Well, because the verse that's right after that one in verse 22 says, the man who finds a wife finds a treasure, he receives favor from the Lord. Well, we know when the Bible was originally written, there wasn't a separation of chapter and verse. That was added later. So these verses were sandwiched right together. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Man who finds a wife finds a treasure. I don't think it's a stretch for us than to say that what goes for marriage could work in any relationship. So what you speak and what you say over someone is very, very powerful. Very powerful. Look at James chapter 3 with me, and let's just look for a moment at how powerful our words are. James chapter 3. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Indeed, we all make many mistakes, for if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. We can make a large, a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. A small rudder makes a huge ship. Turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. So consistent with what we've looked at concerning a horse and concerning a ship, that our tongue also directs. Even though it's small, it directs. 
but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire for it is set on fire by hell itself. So your tongue is so powerful that it can set your whole life on fire. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless, it is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who've been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble up out of both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No, and you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. I can remember when I was struggling with my mouth. I had a horrendous mouth. And after I became a Christian, it was amazing. God was able to set me free from so many things, the drugs and alcohol abuse and 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 all improper sexual activity, and my, my tongue was one of the last things. And I would get so disgusted with the things that would come out of my own mouth. I'd say it, and then about five minutes later, I'd be like, oh. And I remember praying and reading this verse and reading that no man can tame the tongue and having the Holy Spirit speak to my heart and say, and say yeah, but I can. But I can. No man, but God can. What's impossible with man is possible with God. And so I began to pray about my tongue. And I found out that I began to get in, convicted right before I would say things that I wish I never would and still do it. Then I would con get convicted right before and not do it. And then I would get convicted even as I was beginning to think about saying those things or about to shift in to that mode, and little by little it got to the point where I could count on my hands how many times I was cussing and swearing every day, then it went to one hand, and then God just completely removed all of that language out of my mouth, and I'm glad that he did, because I don't think it would be very productive if I was cussing you guys out as I was preaching to you this morning. So get your blankety-blank keisters down here to the altar. No, um, so the words that have been spoken over you years ago can, can still affect you today. In fact, maybe the reason why some of that stuff's coming out of your mouth is because of some of the pain that you've been through. I had a woman um, in the church that's been with us um, for years uh, that was in an abusive marriage, you know, physically, verbally abusive. Tell me, you know, it's not that the bruises aren't, aren't painful, they are. She said, but the bruises eventually heal. She said, it's the words that have been spoken that stay. And some people just know how to cut with their mouth. They just know how to slice people to pieces with their mouth. They know how to kill with their mouth. Cut people down to size with their mouth. And I'm encouraging you as believers to speak life to speak life. Today you may still be convinced that nothing's gonna work out for you. You may be convinced that you'll never amount to anything or that you're not smart or pretty or handsome or good at anything or have anything good to say. I love what Jimmy Evans said years ago. He said that you cannot remove thoughts, but you can replace them. 
you can replace them. As is the case with anything that we struggle with, we're always trying to get that thing removed from our life. That, that addiction, that, that habitual sin, we're always trying to move it. Can I suggest that you replace it? Can I suggest that you replace it? Even in the case of, of ungodly friends that are still an influence in our lives, man, we're good until we're hanging around those guys or those gals. Man, we're good until we hang around with them. And because they're such good friends, you feel obligated to, 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 to give in and to yield because they're such good buds. I'm not saying get rid of your old friends. Start making some new ones. Oh, man, I'd love to get together. Sounds great. But, you know, hey, we got this event at church. I, I, you know, I'd really, I'd, I'd love to be there. You guys know that I would. You know, girls, you know that I would. But, man, we got this big event, and our family really looks forward to it every year. And what? every time I talk to you, you're at the church. Well, why don't you come and find out what's going on so that you don't think I'm a part of some cult? as you probably have heard. So let's deconstruct what's been said about us. Shove some words out. Amen. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And these are great verses, I'm sure. I'm going to take you in a pretty good study of them. But if you want to jump in deeper, you can. 2 Corinthians 10. I tell you, every time I read these verses and study them, I see new stuff. And I've been teaching on these verses for years. I'm going to read it out of the New Living Translation, verses 3 through 5. It says, we are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. So those three things that we just mentioned all have to do with your thought life. All have to do with your thought life. So when it says we are human, it's talking about the way that we live and behave. Older versions say, for though we walk in the flesh... These verses are not about how you live and behave as much as they are about how you fight. About how you fight. For although we're human, we don't fight as humans do. So these verses are about how we fight and they're about our thoughts and they're about our thinking. So there is a battle raging in our minds. Joyce Myers has built a ministry on this. Rick Renner preaches incredible things on this. The battlefield of the mind, and it is a battlefield, and you must take it and you must win it. You have to. So you might live and behave as a human, but that is not how you fight. We're a three-part being. We're flesh and bone. We're soul, mind, will, and emotions, and we are spirit, and if you are a Christian, it is a born-again spirit. That is what was awakened on the inside of you. Your flesh will not inhabit heaven. Your flesh and bone, as it is, will not inhabit heaven. It must be changed in the twinkling of an eye. Your mind, your will, and emotions did not get saved when you got saved. They must be renewed. They are in a constant state of renewal. You must keep 
getting filled, my pastor would say, because we leak. So we need to keep getting filled. So I would challenge you in your spiritual disciplines, your church attendance, your prayer and reading the Bible, what is your walk with Jesus like and how much time and effort are you putting into those things to keep getting filled again and again and again? Stay filled. Stay, stay filled. Look at Romans 12, 1 and 2, and I'm gonna come back to these verses. But I wanna show you just how important renewal is to your mind. Because many times we wonder why we haven't seen victory in a certain area. I've even told people, look, do not come and ask for agreement and prayer if you do not want this thing out of your life just because it got exposed. You know, just don't, do you want it out of your life or don't you? Then when you want it out of your life and your will is gonna cooperate with the prayer that we're praying, then, then, then let's pray. But if you don't want it out of your life and you just got caught by your spouse doing something you shouldn't have been doing or, you know, whatever it is, then, then, then what do you, are you up here because your spouse says, you need to get up there and you need to have the pastor pray for you. So I, you know, let's just sing kumbaya for a moment. You can go back because I know you're probably just gonna keep doing what you're doing. When you want it broke, I've seen so many people get set free and delivered when they wanted it out of their life. You name it from cigarettes to pornography. When they want it out of their life. Okay? And I'm not saying that cigarettes are gonna send anybody to hell. It's, my pastor would say it'll just make you smell like you've been there. Okay? So, um, so let's not split hairs. But look at Romans 12, 1 and 2. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. Notice Paul is pleading with them to give their bodies to God. And we're going to see where this is going, but it starts with Paul pleading with the believers in Rome to give their bodies to God because of all that he's done for you. How could you not because of all that he's done for you? Jesus gave his body, you give your body. Seems to make sense. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. So New Testament worship isn't coming and trying to shed something at an altar. It's you getting on the altar. You're a living sacrifice. Altar is a place of flames where sacrifices are made. We're not coming and trying to shed something like a skin, trying to molt at an altar. We're not trying to shed something and get it to... We get on the altar and we let the flames consume us. New Testament. This is an Old Testament practice. We're not coming to the altar and leaving something. We're getting on the altar and letting the fire of God consume it. Amen? You with me so far? Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. I love the way the New Living puts it because it cuts right to it. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. Then you will learn. You cannot know without a changing of the way that you think God's will for your life. You will not know God's will for your life. God is not meeting you on your terms. You're not going to strong arm God. Well, God, if you don't tell me what you want to do with my life, well, then I'm not even going to go to church anymore. I'm through praying. I'm not going to read my Bible. Oh, my gosh, they're so strong-willed. Guys, we don't have a choice. We better give in. Said God, never. 
you will come and you will submit and you will humble yourself before him and you will seek him and you will pray and he will begin to reveal. You don't have it all. Your experiences, all of your years spent in church, you don't have it all. You are continually in a place of humility, continually in a place of seeking him because he's not gonna give you the entire plan and unfold it before you. He's gonna give you that step of faith and this step of faith and meet me here and meet me there. He's leading your following. When you get to a place where you're leading God, that's a scary, scary place to be. Scary place to be. Pastor, this is good preaching, but it hurts a little. Okay, I get it, I get it. So your spirit is what God saved and awakened on the inside of you. No one's denying you're human and have a mind, will, and emotions, but if you're gonna win battles, you must learn to fight spiritually because your enemy is spiritual. Wouldn't it be nice if the devil was just there every morning standing there so we could punch him in the face before we left the house? That would be outstanding. Oh, I can't stand you. I'm just going to drill you. Oh, man, you should have seen it, man. It was one and down this morning. I leveled the devil. It was awesome. Awesome. I would love to be able to do that. So there are three things mentioned here that have to do, and I'm going to have to preach fast that have to do with your thought life, which is why they're called rebellious thoughts in verse five, that need to be taught to obey Christ. First of all, we knock down strongholds of human reasoning. Strongholds there speak of a military fortified place. A military fortified place. It's like a house of thoughts that have been built up over time. Our reasoning must be pulled down no matter how long we believed something to be true. So let's just say it this way. If it's wrong, it's gotta get wrecked. If it's wrong, it's got to get wrecked. You pull it down. No, 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 no. Uh-uh. No way, no how. That's wrong. That's coming down. That's coming down. Secondly, we destroy false arguments. The word arguments here is the Greek word legismos. It speaks of false reasoning and false arguments, but the emphasis is it's based on evil intentions. We are to destroy these thoughts, even condemn them. Destroy their means to, dis, to dethrone them like the worst thought imaginable comes into your mind like, oh my gosh, where did that come from? And you get rid of it immediately. You get rid of it immediately. You reject it and you cast it down and you can do so knowing that its source is demonic and evil. Just because that thought came into your head doesn't mean that it's in your heart. Your mind is a playground for the enemy and he would love to lead you and get into your thought life and tell you this is what's gonna happen to you. And that, Man, you get that out of your head. You reject it and you throw it down like the nastiest thought came into your mind. If the devil can get you to think that any thought that comes into your head was in your heart or in your life and you're just some bad and wicked person, man, he's gonna lead you all over. I am an awful person. I am a nasty person. Isn't it amazing that before you knew the Lord, the devil could lead you from the inside out and now that you've come to know the Lord, all he can do is try to attack you from the outside. He's trying to convince you. He's trying to persuade you because he no longer has any power over you. Don't give it to him. Don't yield. Cast it down. Throw it down. Throw it down. Best message I ever heard on legismos or those things that we got to pull down or, or throw down was by Dutch Sheets. Dutch Sheets, great, great message. If you can find it out here on YouTube, great message, best ever. So you don't argue to defend it, you destroy it. 
Must be something wrong with me. Must, why, are we, why are we reasoning? Throw it down. Why are we talking about throw it down? Throw it down. Thirdly, we destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. These thoughts are so rooted in pride that they're in competition with God. That they're in competition with God. They speak of an exalted object lifted up in competition against James 4, 6 tells us that the proud are always in opposition to God. And therefore, there's no grace for them. God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. Habakkuk 2, 4 tells us that pride is the enemy of God-given vision. Right after that, that, uh, that discourse, you know, God with Habakkuk, you know, write the vision, make it plain so that he who reads it can run with it. And though the vision, Terry, wait for it, for in the end it'll speak. Right after that, verse 4, Habakkuk 2, 4. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him. Why? Because pride is the enemy of God-given vision. Pride is the enemy of God-given vision. God tells the prophet that the life of the prideful is crooked. The soul of prideful people is off, and their thoughts compete with and exalt themselves against God. And I want to close with Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55. I don't know of any better set of verses regarding our thought life than those of Isaiah 55, verses 6 through 9. Seek the Lord while you can find him. Call on him now while he is near. Let the wicked change their ways and banish the very thought of doing wrong. Notice change in thinking again. Let them turn to the Lord that he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God and he will forgive generously. He is a good God and he generously forgives. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. My ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, my thoughts than your thoughts. You want God's perspective. You want God's thoughts. You want to walk in God's ways. And it requires...